0: How long have you known and walked with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you say you're a different person today than you were the day you first believed on his name, whether it's days or months or decades ago? Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I hope that you said, yes, I'm a different person today, because that was Jesus' promise to us, that he would make us new creations. That day that you met the Lord, you were given eternal life, but also on that day You began a process called sanctification that will continue every day for the rest of your life on earth. Dr. McGee will go into great detail on this process today in our study of Galatians 6. Now, we've already seen how our lives changed when we came to Jesus by faith. And we studied in Galatians 5 how walking with the Lord produces the fruit of His Spirit in our lives. And today we'll go deeper into how that Spirit fruit produces character in us. It's such a great study. So grab your copy of God's Word and open it to Galatians chapter 6. But first, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, shared a few thoughts about one character trait that we should put on every morning like a coat. That character trait is humility. Here's Dr. McGee now. I entitled this
1: editorial, The Proud Pygmy versus the Humble Human Being. I have a scripture for this. And it's found in Proverbs, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 16. Will you listen to this? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations." Feet that be swift to running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, God says these are the things that he hates. It's an ugly brood, as you can see. And these are the things that are actually in the heart of the natural man. That is, you and I, before we were converted, that is, if we have been converted and we still have that old nature and these things can still be down in our hearts now the opposite of pride is humility it was said of the lord jesus that he humbled himself and we are enjoined to do the very same thing you will recall that it was james in the fourth chapter of the book of james He spoke about this in verse 10. He said, Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and He shall lift you up.'" Now, why not start a new style or trend today in your group? Put on a dress or a suit that'll be a little bit different. And you remember that both Peter and James both said, "'Put on humility,' just like you put on a garment.'" Say your friends will want to know who your dressmaker and your tailor is.
0: Humility is fascinating. Did you know that of the dozen or so times it's mentioned in Scripture, God is almost always directing us to humble ourselves. Even Philippians 2 says that we should have the same mind as Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So let's humble ourselves as we open God's Word now and ask that His Spirit would teach us and make His Word into a mirror that shows us our hearts as well as how we need to be changed and also how we're looking more and more like Jesus the longer we walk in step with Him. Let's take a moment now and pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word and how it shows us ourselves and then opens Your mercy and grace to the humble heart. Help us, Lord, to be humble ourselves before you and before each other today. Open our ears to the message that you have for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get ready as we travel to Galatians 6 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now we come in chapter 6 in the first 10 verses, Saved by faith and the fruit of the Spirit presents Christian character. In other words, we saw last time what it means to walk in the Spirit, that this is something we're to learn to do. We should begin. We'll fall on our face, but we're to keep at it. Now, how will this work out? How will the fruit of the Spirit work out in our lives? In other words, let's get right down now, again, where the rubber touches the road. Right down where it's put in shoe leather, and the shoe leather hits the pavement of our hometown. All right, will you listen? He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... And who is the man here? Well, it's generic term again. It means any man that is a Christian. It means man or woman. It means, Brethren, if a Christian man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, see, meekness is one of the fruits of the spirit, you see. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All right, now will you notice this? He says here, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and the word for a fault here comes from a word parapipto, which means to fall beside. And it is a word that is used, actually, at the time when the Lord Jesus went in the Garden of Gethsemane and said he went a ways and he fell on his face. Same word. And it means more or less like stumble. If a man be overtaken in a fall, if he stumbles, and if he be overtaken in a fault, and the word here for fault is a word that means not a great sin, but it may be a awful blunder, but maybe not a great sin. Now, what are we to do with a person like that? The spiritual folk, and a lot of folk think they are, of course, and he says, ye which are spiritual you that like to point the finger and condemn a person. Now, many of us that are fundamental in the faith, our interpretation of this would be, ye which are spiritual get a baseball bat and try to beat his brains out because he shouldn't have done this and he's wrong. You see, there is always the danger of us, especially when a brother's overtaken in a fault we don't exactly want to restore him. We want to beat his brains out. We're certainly going to criticize him. And one of the wonderful things that is said in prophecy about the Lord Jesus is in Isaiah 63, 9. It says, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Now, I believe the better manuscripts now say this. In all their affliction... He was not afflicted. I like that much better. The Lord Jesus goes along with me, and I'm sure he goes along with you. And when I fall down, and when I stumble and fall, he doesn't stumble and fall. He is not afflicted. When I fall, he doesn't fall down, but he's there by the side of me. And you know what he does? He picks me up. And he brushes me off and tells me to start out again. And it's wonderful to have one in all their affliction. He was not afflicted. And it says in the Scripture that the Lord waited for these people in the wilderness. And a lot of times they go off on a tangent. You know, he waits for them. How wonderful it is to have that. Now he says, ye that are spiritual... You would to restore such a one. And the verb there is a verb that means to reset a broken bone. A well, falls down. He breaks his leg. What are you going to do? Walk off and leave him? No. He says, you that are spiritual, you set the broken bone. Get him back on his feet again. I think one of the great preachers of the South several years ago, he had been a drunkard. And marvelously converted. And then he got under a great deal of pressure and temptation. And he got drunk one night. <laughs> he was so ashamed, he called in his board of deacons the very next day. And he turned in his resignation. He said, I want to resign. They said, why? Well, he said, I was drunk. They said, you don't mean it. He said, "Yeah." And he said, I don't think the preacher ought to get drunk. And I want to resign. I'm ashamed of myself. And you know, those were wonderful deacons. There are a lot of wonderful deacons. And they just put their arm around him and said, let's all pray. And they prayed for him. And then they said, we wouldn't accept your resignation. And a man who was present that next Sunday, he said, I never heard a greater sermon in my life. Then that man preached. You know what these deacons had done? They were real surgeons. They were real doctors. They were setting a bone, broken bone. And what a wonderful thing it was, you see. That was the time when you should have fired the man. And I can think right now that there's some of them got a lot of risibles on the back of your neck and say, I still think that fellow should have been put out of the ministry. Well God marvelously used him after that. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one, and how are you to do it in the spirit of meekness. You are to restore him with the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> Love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness. There's the word. You're to restore him in meekness. Why? Well, consider in thyself, lest thou also be tempted. It was the great German Gertie that said, I've never seen a sin committed, a crime committed, is the way he put it, but what I too might have committed it. Don't you think that you are immune to what you are pointing your finger and blaming the other brother for? You could have done the same thing that he did. So do it in the spirit of meekness. What a wonderful thing that is. Now we come down here to verse 2, and I want you to look at this because here is a verse that when I was a boy, I heard, and it made me wonder about the Bible. And let me give you a little background here. I think most little towns of a bygone day had a character in it known as the town atheist, a free thinker. Generally, a near-do-well, and sometimes he wasn't. He could have been one of the leading citizens of the community. Well, in the little town in which I lived as a boy, it lacked many things. We didn't have any street lights. In fact, we didn't have electric lights at all. We used a lamp. And we didn't have any sidewalks. We didn't have any paved streets. And we didn't have running water, except you would run out to the well and get it. And we didn't have what's known as inside plumbing, not as all outside. But, you know, in that little town I lived in in southern Oklahoma, we had a town atheist. He was a socialist, he said. And he would speak at a street corner on the square every Sunday morning. That is when the weather permitted. And he generally would get a big crowd of about a dozen around listening to him. And he ridiculed the Bible. And he always was pointing out supposed contradictions in the Bible. And his favorite was here in Galatians. I can hear him to this day. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now he'd say, write down in that same chapter, just a few verses it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now he said, that's obviously a contradiction in the Bible. And all of us in the little town, we just stood there with our mouth open listening to him. And we didn't know how to answer him. And by the way, how would you answer him? Well, it's a very simple answer if we just only a known them. And burdens are those things that we all have in common. All of us have burdens. Not all of us are wealthy. And not all of us are Healthy. And not all of us have natural talents. And actually, listening to this broadcast, there's some that don't have eyes. Some don't have arms. And there are many of us that do not have good looks. But all of us have burdens. And the burdens are not the same. There's a Spanish proverb that says, No home is there anywhere that does not sooner or later have its hush." The hush comes to all of our homes. There's a French proverb that says, everyone thinks his own burden is heavy. And George Herbert put it like this, no one knows the weight of another's burden. And there used to be a very wonderful lady, head of child evangelism here in Southern California. Her name was Mrs. Ranny, And she used to say, and I've heard her say it several times, Even children have burdens. Now, all of us have burdens, but we all don't have the same burden. And did you know that there are 11 different words in the Bible that are translated by one word, burden? And there are two kinds of burdens. There's the burden here that you can share. Then there is the burden that you must bear. And that's what Paul's talking about. Now we didn't know in the little town that there were two different words used in the greek in verse 2 you could translate it like this the burdens of each other keep bearing and the word is baros and it means something heavy it's the burden and heat of the day and the word is used in acts 15:28 at the council of jerusalem They sent down to the Gentile church, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It's that kind of a burden. There is a kind of burden you can share. There's a kind of burden you can share. But here's a burden you can share. Someone has said that a load is half a load when two are carrying it. A woman in London got on a bus with a heavy basket she sat down and put the basket in her lap. And there was a man standing there. He said to her, says, why don't you put the basket down on the floor? The bus will carry both you and the basket. And a lot of us got a burden that we could share with others. And we could share others' burden. Now, baros means fault. If a man be overtaken in a fault. Man, that's his burden. May have some little sin. You could help him bear Infirmity, a fault, a weakness, an ignorance. Maybe he's doing something he doesn't really know about. A pressure, a tension, a grief. Oh, there's so many of these things. And this word baros, it emphasizes the weight, something that is heavy. And this is something that you can share. Now he goes on and he says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. You know, Paul gets in some of the most marvelous statements that are imaginable. And watch out for them. We've had several of them in Galatians. Here is one. It's a gem. And now here's a motto that many of us ought to have put on the wall for us to look at every now and then. If a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. And you don't deceive anybody else. We need to recognize that I heard a man say this concerning another. He said, I wish I could buy that man for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. A great many of us overestimate ourselves. And we need to recognize, especially when we come to God, we need somebody to help us bear the burdens now he says but let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another and i think he means you don't run around getting everybody to carry your burdens. don't do that but why because he says for every man shall bear his own burden now what kind of a burden is this there is a burden that you can bear but there is another burden that actually you cannot bear. Something must be borne, maybe heavy. And then there's a burden that you will have to bear. And this word is, I think, quite interesting. It can mean a child, a baby in the womb. Well, now, believe me, the mother carrying that will have to carry it, you see. And it means actually the load that's on a ship. That ship has to carry that cargo. And it is like that. There are certain things that you will have to bear yourself. You can't get somebody else to bear these things for you. You will just have to bear them yourself. And I think Dr. Phillips, it's not a good translation, but it's a marvelous interpretation. He puts it like this. He must shoulder his own pack. Art to every man is work. Or we have a very common colloquialism. Every tub must sit on its own bottom. That's a good one. Now, each life is separated, isolated, segregated, quarantined. And I think that, frankly, Dr. Funk in his Funk and Wagnalls dictionary, he says the saddest word is the word alone. There are things that you and I'll have to bear alone. One is suffering. We are born into the world alone, a world of woe. We suffer alone. We have to face certain problems alone, physical suffering and sickness. I remember my little daughter, when she's a little child, got sick. And we were coming back from Texas, took her to the hospital in Phoenix. And I looked down at her, she had 104 fever and the doctor was examining her. Right then and then, I'd have given anything in the world if I could have taken that fever in my own body. But I can't. you got to bear things yourself, friends. And there's mental anguish. And there's some loved one that's far from God. And you're suffering. You can't share that with someone else. And then the day will come when you'll go down through the valley of the shadow of death. And Thomas Hobbes... Put it like this, I'm taking a fearful leaf into the dark alone. And how tragic it is to have to do that, by the way. And then there is the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear there, every believer. And we'll have to appear there to have our works judged, you see. And then, of course, there's another burden that you can't share and you can't bear. And that's your burden of sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ bore that for you on the cross. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll rest you. And take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Are you carrying a burden of sin today? Bring it to the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ bore it for you. And what a wonderful passage it says. I'm sorry that I didn't know this and when I was a boy to tell that old atheist in my hometown how wrong he was. There's no contradiction in the Bible, but he certainly was a contradiction. We'll pick up right there next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
0: Well, the best way to understand the meaning of any passage is to read the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter. That's why we're so glad that you've joined us on the Bible bus. At the end of the five years on the Bible bus, you'll have journeyed through all 66 books. And in order to get the most out of these studies, we do suggest that you read ahead before each message. That's a really important step. And to help you go deeper, our ministry newsletter each month is focused on the book of the Bible that we're studying. Now this month, we're diving deeper into our study with articles like Why Study Galatians and Jesus in Galatians. Check it out for yourself, won't you? And if you aren't signed up to get yours automatically in the mail or by email, then you can read it online at ttb.org forward slash newsletter. And while you're there, you can also sign up to get your own copy of the newsletter every month and stay current with how God is working in the lives of your fellow Bible bus passengers, listening in over 200 languages around the world. You might also get a word from one of our global producers and from our president, Greg Harris. This newsletter is a great way to help you maximize your prayer partnership with through the Bible and then also to grow in the grace and knowledge of His Word. Now, don't just take my word for it. Vi in Orange County, California writes, I love the newsletter. When it comes in the mail, I tuck it in my purse to save for a moment when I'm waiting in the car or for an appointment. And then, and only then, I bring it home for my husband. It's a great tool to expand my thinking of the studies. In January, the article on Chronicles really helped me understand some of the differences between Kings and Chronicles in a succinct way. Thank you, For all the work on these ministry extras, they really do make a difference in how we see God and His Word. Now, if you want to sign up to receive that newsletter in your email box or in your mailbox at home, just go to ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll get you all set up. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. And then join us next week as we finish our study of Galatians and then return to the Old Testament with a terrific study of Psalms. In the meantime, get more great teaching by Dr. McGee when you join me for his new, well, at least never aired before, Sunday sermon from Galatians 6 titled, The Personal Handwriting of Jesus Christ. To listen, download our app or visit ttb.org for more information. I'm Steve Schwetz, thanking God for your company on this journey through the Bible. Jesus' baby. Our story on the Bible bus today is just one step in a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. Come along for the ride, and you'll study both the Old Testament and New Testament, discovering God's great redemption story. Is this your story, too?